Hey there, welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. I'm Mitchell Wolf. Sound in video games is pretty important. It's right up there with the visuals. If you don't utilize sound the same way you utilize visuals when making your game, you lose half of your effectiveness at reaching the player's senses. Actually using sound in this way, however, is easier said than done. With visuals, it's very easy to show how a character changes when they grow. They get a little bit taller, they get a little bit larger, stronger, they wear different clothing. It's easy to show how places change too. Things can get a little bit darker in times of hardship, or brighter in times of plenty. These things can also be accomplished using sound. The method of doing so just isn't as obvious. If I'm designing a level where the player goes from exploring on land to exploring underwater, it's obvious to me what the underwater portion looks like. It looks kind of like the above water portion, except it's tinted blue, and there's a wave effect going across the screen, so I can't actually focus on anything, because that's what it looks like to me when I go underwater. But what does it sound like? This and other questions can only be solved by each game's individual composer and sound designer. In theory, there are no wrong answers. There are clearly some answers that are better than others, however. If nothing changes, it doesn't sound any different. It doesn't sound like something's changed. When a character goes underwater, you can have it look different in the way I described it before. You can have the mechanics of the game behave differently. Now you're swimming rather than walking. But if the sound doesn't change to match that in some way, it undermines the work that the visuals and the mechanics of the game are doing to make water seem important. It's supposed to seem like a different modality in that way, and it just doesn't sound like it is at all. Unfortunately, in many cases, this aspect of sound design is overlooked and underdeveloped, but not in every case. Today I'd like to talk to you about my favorite soundtrack in gaming, the soundtrack by Grant Kirkhope to Banjo-Kazooie. When you first start the game, you see the Nintendo 64 and Rare logos in the sky, and you hear this. And with that, the game's choral identity was established. Those four notes, technically three notes because one of them is repeated, are the basis for the chord that makes up most of the songs in Banjo-Kazooie. I don't want to give the impression that I'm some music theory expert because I'm definitely not and I don't pretend to be, but this chord is really interesting. In an interview that Grant Kirkhope did on Game Grumps once, and it wasn't really an interview, they just kind of sat down and played some games and talked about some stuff for a little bit. Kirkhope explained that this chord was chosen to be the backbone of many Banjo-Kazooie songs because it was built on what's called the tritone. I don't want to get into exactly how a tritone works, because I think that would be me talking beyond my area of expertise, but here's the gist of it. For every pitch, there is an opposite pitch. For example, C's opposite is F-sharp. If you play them at the same time, that's called a tritone. This is also called an augmented fourth, but that's a lot less exciting. Tritones sound awful. Those two opposite pitches being played at the same time are very dissonant. They don't jive well at all. In fact, in the Middle Ages, it was associated with Satanism and witchcraft. It would be illegal to put the tritone 
in your music. In the example you just heard, however, it doesn't sound that bad, or even bad at all, really, in my opinion. This is because the notes of the tritone are separated. They're being played alternatingly instead of at the same time. Musically, this is what Banjo-Kazooie is all about. It's two opposite pitches taking turns in the spotlight, one after the other. In that same interview with Game Grumps, Grant Kirkhope explained that this was done because he viewed Banjo and Kazooie, the protagonists of the game, as complete opposite personality types, and that the lower end of the tritone represented Banjo, and the higher end of the tritone represented Kazooie. Try listening to this interval in the main theme to Banjo-Kazooie, the theme that plays right before you see the title screen. Uh-huh. Did you catch it? If you're looking for it, it's kind of hard to miss. It's everywhere. It's in the bass line, it's in the banjo part, it's in the kazoo part. In fact, we should probably talk about that. This theme song plays over an animation of Banjo, the bear, playing a banjo and Kazooie playing the kazoo. Just as the two intervals of the tritone are taking turns being in the forefront, Banjo and Kazooie are literally doing this every measure. Banjo does a little ditty on his banjo, then Kazooie busts in with the kazoo. But these aren't the only two characters in the song. In fact, many characters are in the song. They kind of jump in one at a time. Let's listen to the main theme again, except this time paying special attention to which characters represent which instruments. Uh -huh. Here's Banjo playing the banjo and Kazooie on the kazoo. Here, Banjo's little sister Tootie comes in. She's playing the flute. And then Mumbo Jumbo the shaman comes in. He's playing the saxophone. And then the xylophone. And then the violin. Banjo pushes Mumbo aside, and Banjo and Kazooie are playing at the same time now. Then Mumbo comes back in, and he's playing the violin. Then Kazooie. Then Mumbo. Then Kazooie. Now Tootie. Now Mumbo. Now Mumbo again. And Kazooie. And finally, Banjo. Now, this might just be a conspiracy theory, but let's put on our tinfoil hats for a second. Mumbo Jumbo switches from instrument to instrument. He's transforming the way he sounds. This kind of makes sense because in the game, Mumbo Jumbo transforms Banjo and Kazooie into different animals and even a pumpkin at one point. He's all about transformations. And in the music of the opening scene, he's seen transforming via sound or heard transforming via sound. I should say. And Tootie, well, she doesn't have that <laughs> kind of extreme uh, meaning in, in her flute playing, but she does play the flute, and that's generally seen as a very fragile sound in Western music, kind of a, a, a dainty sound, and she is the damsel in distress of this game, so that also makes sense. Now, there is one character who's not in this scene, and is very important to the plot of the game, 
and that is Gruntilda. Once you get past the title screen and pick a file, the actual intro to the game starts, and it's accompanied by what's called the Banjo Overture. And this is where you first see Grunty. It sounds a little bit like this. We're seeing a large tower from the outside. It's green and dark and musty. And we're going up the stairs of the tower. And at the top we see Grunty. She's an evil witch, and this is her song. She's asking her pot, called Dingpot, if she is the prettiest woman in the land. And the pot responds saying, well, the pot's trying to say super not at all, not even close. But he just says, no, actually, there's one other. That's the surprise that she gets from hearing there's someone prettier than her. It's Tootie. And this is Tootie's song. Runty's seeing Tootie in the pot. Grunty decides that she's going to kidnap Tootie and steal her beauty. Now we're looking at Tootie talking to bottles outside of Tootie and Banjo's house. This is Tootie's theme, or leitmotif. Now we're inside the house, Banjo's asleep, and it's this song. It's a rearrangement of the original Banjo-Kazooie theme. But now we see Grunty on her broomstick flying out of her tower and toward Tootie. Now we have a minor key version of Tootie's theme. It signifies that she's in trouble. Tootie is caught by Grunty. They're heading back to the lair. A leitmotif is a short musical phrase that represents a character or place. In this overture, we hear a few characters' leitmotifs for the first time. 
The main theme of the game is repurposed to be Banjo and Kazooie's leitmotif. Here it is again. This song comes up anytime you pull up the pause menu. It's almost like the music is making a statement on the fact that Banjo and Kazooie are just having some time to themselves, because this is Banjo and Kazooie's leitmotif. This is their song. This is what they, as characters and as personalities, sound like. Tootie's leitmotif was also established in the overture, and it appears one more time in the game. This tune is appropriately titled Tootie's Theme. It's the song that plays when Banjo and Kazooie finally rescue Tootie from Gruntilda. You can tell that it's a bit happier, a bit more energetic, and definitely full of more instruments than before. This represents the little amount of growth that Tootie did have throughout the game, going from a damsel in distress to someone who's now achieved freedom. There are two more themes that play during the overture, and they both have to do with Grunty. One of them is Grunty's main theme, which is also shared with the main theme of Grunty's lair, the main hub world of Banjo-Kazooie. This song plays as you explore the main lair. It's clearly an evolution of Grunty's leitmotif. If this song sounds familiar, and you've never played Banjo-Kazooie, it might be because it bears a striking resemblance to the folk song Teddy Bear's Picnic. Grant Kirkhope has said that he doesn't actually remember whether or not he based this song on Teddy Bear's Picnic, but I think it fits. Teddy Bear's Picnic is a song about sentient teddy bears, little toy bears like Banjo, going out into the woods and having some clandestine meeting. On the surface, it's a song that's it's really fun. It's about a little picnic that teddy bears are having with each other. But a little bit beneath that, it's super creepy that all these sentient toys are just having a meeting in the middle of the woods. This dichotomy between the familiar and cozy and the creepy and the natural in the woods is very much at the heart of what a lot of the atmosphere of Banjo-Kazooie is about. It's a fractured fairy tale. Each of Banjo-Kazooie's nine explorable levels are accessed via little passages in Grunty's lair, and the area around their entrance is flavored to the personality of the level. For example, the area around the entrance to Treasure Trove Cove, the beach level, is full of sand and sand castles. The area around the sewer level, Clanker's Cavern, is a sewer. But if it looks that way in Banjo-Kazooie, the rule is that it also has to sound that way. So the theme to Grunty's Lair is appropriately recontextualized with the instrumentation from the levels that it represents. For example, this is the version of Grunty's Lair that plays outside of Mumbo's Mountain. Mumbo's Mountain itself has a theme song with some chanting and some clapping and some pan flute like you can hear right now. And the version of Grunty's Lair takes that bit and runs with it. Now this is the version of Grunty's Lair right outside of Treasure Trove Cove. 
The instrumentation of Treasure Trove Cove is very beachy. It has a lot of accordions, evocative of pirates. It has some tambourine. You're hearing all of it right now. This is one of the most special level entrances in all of Grunty's Lair. It's the level entrance to Freeze Easy Peak. It's this giant advent calendar, and it's not really a winter level, even though Freeze Easy Peak doesn't specify a holiday. This is totally a Christmas level. You hear sleigh bells, you hear xylophone, you hear the wind in the background getting more and more powerful as the cold weather blows in. This is Christmas. But it's still Grunty's Lair, and it's still Grunty's motif. Now we're in a giant graveyard, still inside of Grunty's Lair, but also just the exit to Mad Monster Mansion, which we're gonna circle back to, because that one's important. It's the... presumably the house where Grunty actually lives inside of her lair. And... It sounds exactly like a witch's house. We have a wolf howling in the background. We have a super spooky church organ thing going on. You can actually visit that organ in the game. You can hear an owl, everything. So now we're outside of Rusty Bucket Bay again, still in Grunty's lair. Something interesting with the marimba, it's being used right now, it usually signifies that Banjo is underwater. If Banjo is underwater, all of the instruments native to that level's soundtrack start to fade out and they're replaced with marimba. Now, Rusty Bucket Bay is an aquatic level, kind of. It's a boat, it's docked, and it's paired here with the trombones and tubas you're hearing in the background. And this is true in the actual soundtrack to the level itself, not just the entrance outside of it. Brass instruments like tuba and trombone, specifically the lower brass instruments, are often used to represent industrialism. And they're being paired here with water, which is exactly what a polluted boat on a, or a polluting boat rather, on a gross Liverpool-esque dock would sound like, and is doing it quite well. Of the four leitmotifs established in the overture of the game, we've talked about three of them. The Banjo and Kazooie theme, which you can hear during the pause menu, Grunty's leitmotif, which you can hear throughout her lair, and Tootie's leitmotif, which you can hear during certain story beats. But there's one more. When Grunty actually gets Tootie, you hear this. <laughs> Now, when Grunty takes Tootie home with her, we can actually interpret that kind of literally thanks to the music, because that is the theme to Mad Monster Mansion. This is one little ditty very, very early in the game, in fact, before you can actually control the main character at all, that only comes around again once you go to Mad Monster Mansion, which is one of the last levels in the game, only to make this little personal connection between what Grunty's doing now and what she'll be showing you vis-a-vis -vis her house later on in the game. To me, this is just so cool. I wanted to do this on Super Mario Odyssey because I've been thinking about it a lot, but it just doesn't 
have these kinds of connections going through it, it's not as completely consistent in terms of its musical ideas. And if I wanted to do it in something in the same era as Banjo-Kazooie, well, if I was doing the Mario game from then, Super Mario 64, I couldn't do this at all. In fact, almost every level in that game, except for the water levels, have the exact same melody. This is a really special thing. Every level has its own identity, both musically in terms of its melody, and aesthetically in terms of its instrumentation. And those things can even affect the world around those worlds, because it's seamless. This is a real living, breathing world, and the music has everything to do with that. What's more amazing is that we've only scratched the surface so far. With the exception of Mad Monster Mansion, we haven't even talked about the individual level themes themselves. There's so much more that you could dig into here if you wanted to. There's secrets everywhere. In fact, there's this little ditty that's shared between Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong 64 that plays whenever you find a stop-and-swap egg in Banjo-Kazooie. And this kind of makes sense musically because those eggs were at one point in development supposed to be transferred between your game cartridges for Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong 64. Really, everything that I've talked about today isn't specific to the music of Banjo-Kazooie. This is present in the aesthetic design, the visuals, the mechanical design, everything. This is what a truly well-designed game looks like. It takes aspects that you recognize from earlier in a game and transforms them and grows them, and it takes you on a journey with them. And it doesn't just let you see it, and it doesn't just let you watch a number tick up on a bar mechanically. Sometimes you gotta listen for it as well. Thanks so much for listening to the Super Jump Podcast this week. We know we missed last week, that's not something we try to do, and this week itself was supposed to be a regular talk show episode between James and myself, but James has been going in for some dental surgery, and and we're just really sorry. It wouldn't have worked out, but that's probably not necessarily an episode that would have been any good anyway, so... Eh. We will be with you next week, our regular time, on Wednesday with a regular Super Jump podcast, so we'll see you then. But until then, stay super.